Hear this word that the Lord gave me this morning. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. That's no easy task, by the way. Sometimes we don't want to agree with each other. Paul says that he appeals to us by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. By, by the fact that, that it's his honor that's at stake. That it's his name among the Gentiles. His name in the world is at stake. That all of you agree. Not one of you agree, not two of you agree, but that all of you agree. And that there will be no divisions among you, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the troubles, that there will be no divisions among you. No means no. No divisions among you. But that you be united. No matter what the problems, no matter what the pain, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul writes this because he says that it's been reported to him by Chloe's people, which is a small church, a house church in Corinth, that there is quarreling among them. He says that there are quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you has something to say. I, some say, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Is he divided? Christ is not divided. Was Paul crucified for you? No, Paul was not crucified for you. Or were you baptized by the name of Paul or in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Paul doesn't want any divisions among his people, among God's people. And he tells us in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. And this is where I get into the sermon. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Do you know that there are no words of wisdom that can bring healing today? Human wisdom. There are words of wisdom that God speaks, but by human wisdom, nothing shall be healed. Very little healing, at least. At least we can say that. Very little healing. And I'd argue that no healing can truly happen just through words of human wisdom. Wisdom is not enough. Wisdom, human wisdom, cannot heal your family. Human wisdom cannot heal the divisions in a church. Human wisdom cannot heal our country, cannot heal our world. Human wisdom has limits on it. And the same is true for knowledge. An abundance of knowledge is not the answer to our problems either. The limits of wisdom and the limits of knowledge. Now, some of you may have heard about this boy who's 10 years old, Lawrence Simons. I think it's Simons, maybe it's Simmons. I think it's Simons. Maybe you've heard about him. He is an amazing guy. Um, he has earned a bachelor's degree. I guess he's nine. He's about 10. Think of 10 because my son Justin is 10. But, but he has earned a bachelor's degree at the age of nine. He lives in Belgium. And he's studying electrical engineering at the Eindhoven University of Technology. He's described as an extraordinary person. I am sure he is. I don't know if any of you here, we have extraordinary youth here this morning. And somehow I doubt it, I should say, but somehow I doubt it, that any of you have earned a bachelor's degree. Some of you probably don't know what a bachelor's degree is. Right? Yeah? yeah. Um, but this little boy 
who's not old enough to be in our youth group, has earned a bachelor's degree and is going on to study engineering. Um, he actually plans to, uh, to begin a PhD program in electrical engineering and a, med a medical degree. And so there you have it. We could take this little boy, Lawrence Simons, and if we just could, if actually if we could duplicate him and fill him, just maybe fill up this whole church with him, right, all kinds of little Lawrence Simons in, in this room, and if they got their heads together, we could say, wow, they could just solve our church's problems. They could not solve our church's problems. We could say they can solve the world's problems. Then they can't solve the world's problems. Wisdom and knowledge have their limits. And this is certainly what, what Solomon is trying to tell us when he gets into Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I want to share this with you. Ecclesiastes 9. Take a look at this. He says this. And I've been in Ecclesiastes, for those of you who have not been, been, been uh, with me, I've been in Ecclesiastes off and on. Sometimes I'm in it, sometimes I'm not in it, depending on the circumstances of this church and what Jesus is telling us. But look, look what he says in chapter 9, beginning with verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun, and that's a key phrase for Solomon in his book, under the sun, that means that God has not entered into that time and space in any kind of measurable way. He says, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise. He's speaking about human wisdom. Nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For, for man does not know his time. We don't know how long we're going to live. But man does not know, women do not know, human beings do not know their time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Um, it's amazing that time and chance happens to everyone. Look at what he says. We repeat this a little more, a little more clear way on the screen. Race is not to the swift. I never was that good at running, you know? nor the battle to the strong. I was always better at that, you know. Nor bread to the wise. You would think if you're wise enough, you could earn your bread, get your bread. Nor riches to the intelligent. Nor favor to those with knowledge. Swift, strong, wise, intelligent, knowledge. None of these things really work out, is what he says. And you know why? I'm going to repeat it for you. You know why? Because of time and chance. Doesn't matter how fast you are, eventually something's going to happen to you and you're going to slow down. Doesn't matter how strong you are, eventually something is going to happen to you and you're going to get weaker. You're going to lose your mind at some point, your wisdom and intelligence will be gone, someday your knowledge will be gone. Doesn't matter, eventually, because eventually time and chance happens to them all. There is a limit, if you will, a limit to human abilities. And we can call this message actually the limits of human life. What is it about human life that makes us so proud? The things that we're right, the things that we're good enough. The world will tell us to really go for that. Try to be stronger, try to be smarter, try to achieve more. But God says that there's limits on human life, that he has done this for a reason. You know what that is? It's because pride destroys you. 
Pride destroys you. Pride destroys community. Pride destroys the church when it creeps in. Pride destroys everyone. And God says, I love you so much, I don't ever want pride to destroy you. In fact, let me show you what I think of pride. And so Jesus goes to the cross. God is absolutely set on destroying pride. Because pride destroys those whom he loves. And he loves the whole world. Um, We should have been familiar with this anyway. Um, In the very beginning of uh, the Bible, we we read the book of Genesis, we run across this. When God sees how evil... Humanity is. Let me read this for you, beginning with chapter 6, verse 1. And began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. I could talk a lot about this stuff, and I probably still wouldn't be able to tell you what it means. And they took as their, it took as their wives any they, don't, any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Years. That, that's that's a, a fascinating thing there because prior to this, uh, this chapter, human beings, are, we're told, lived a very, very long time. And yet God puts a limit on them. Jumping to verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on, in the earth and that every intention, look at that, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's quite a statement about human beings, isn't it? It seems like we've progressed from that. We, we live in a world, people don't think that way, right? You and I know that they do. Human beings, without Jesus Christ, every intention of their heart is only evil continually. Sin has taken over in that day, and sin has, since so many people today, has taken over. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieves him to his heart. You know what grieves into his heart? Because God loves you. God loves human beings. I shared that with the kids this morning, didn't I? God loves you no matter what, right? His mercy is upon your lives. He loves you and he's never going to stop loving you. His mercy is great upon you. It goes on, verse 8. And here we have this hint, hint of great healing. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I'm not going to go through the story of Noah for you this morning, but we see that something new is going to have to happen. Human beings are not smart enough. They're not. Human beings are not wise enough. Human beings aren't fast enough. They're not strong enough. They're not capable of doing the very thing that they must do in order for them to be a whole person. Um... It's going to take something else. God is working. He's working. You saw it last week in this church. God is working against human pride. He's calling us to a life together. Um, Because there isn't any way that that we're going to be able to accomplish it. I, I don't know. Is there anyone here who wants to have a whole life that wants to be filled with peace, to have, as the Jews say, the shalom, the peace of God, the wholeness of God? Anyone here that wants that? Yeah, I mean, I want that. And you know, I'm a pretty smart guy. That's what some people tell me. And I should be able to accomplish that. But I can't. 
Is it going to take something more? Do you know what it's going to take in order for us to, to actually achieve the very thing that we desperately need, we desperately want, we def de desperately must have? It's going to take something more than human wisdom, human power, and so forth. It's going to take, it's going to take the work of God. It's only going to be a God thing that does it. Um, you know, sometimes we think, we think that this is, a, this, is, this is such a common, common fallacy. Sometimes we think we're just religious enough. Now, I know the word religion has just kind of like fallen on deaf ears to a lot of people in our culture, but in the history of the world, the, there's been so many who have thought, if I just get religious enough, then God will bless me and problems will be solved. But I'm telling you, being religious isn't going to do it. Um, turn with me. Turn that off for a second. Turn with me to uh, Luke. Turn with me to Luke this morning. Last week I got into Luke. I got into this great story. Of, uh, do you remember that? That that there were these people that were coming. You know, they were coming around Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus, and Jesus was teaching in a house. And Jesus had this unbelievable ministry. And, and the scriptures tell us that the power of God was with Jesus to heal. And all these people, and and, and there were these friends of a friend that knew that this, this friend who was paralyzed, he couldn't walk, needed something from, from God, and they, they had hope. And so they, they brought this friend on, on, on this mat, and they went up on top of the roof, which is crazy, crazy talk, crazy thinking. They went up on top of the roof, and they opened up these tiles on top of the roof, and they let this, this person who was paralyzed down, and, and Jesus saw this, and you know there had to be some laughter in the room, but there was also people there who were like going, who were saying, oh, come on, give me a break. There were scribes and Pharisees there. This man, you know they were thinking, this man wasn't religious enough. And there are people who are always thinking, if we're just a little bit more religious, you see. And what did Jesus do? Jesus said, said man, your, your sins are forgiven. And last week we talked about the fact that it was friends, friends that did that, because friends don't create barriers for friends. Cr friends actually remove barriers for friends. That's why, and I can say a word to the youth, if one of your friends in the youth group is discouraging you from coming to Jesus, then that person is not acting as a friend. Friends bring people to Jesus. That's what friends do. And friends remove barriers from people coming to Jesus. That's, that's just so important to, to, to God that, that we have the way open before us. But some of us think that if we're just religious enough, then we can, that we can achieve it. And that's what the scribes and the Pharisees were thinking. Uh, look, look, look at the next story in, in uh, verse 27 of, of chapter 5. It says, after this he went out. You know, quite frankly, if I had like, healed someone the way that Jesus has healed, healed that guy, I, I, I would need a vacation. It's like, I've done enough for a while. But Luke gives us one story for after another. Isn't it true? It's like, wow, I did really good today. But Jesus is always working, always bringing healing, always calling people, always, who's never... He's never satisfied with where we are. He's always bringing us to be more and more like him. After this, in verse 27, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, I don't know if you know anything about tax collectors, but in the, in the Roman world, to be a tax collector was to be the lowest of society. You were a real creep. The, the Romans, when they conquered Palestine, they set, they set it up so that, and this is did it with all the, all the places that they conquered, and they conquered a lot of the world. And they set it up so that they, you know, they, needed, they wanted money, right? They wanted 
to get tribute. They wanted money from the, from the uh, peoples that they conquered. And so if you were a really good businessman, or actually it'd be a man, not even a woman, right? If you were a really good businessman, and somehow you got enough, you scraped up enough money, you could buy the position of being a tax collector. I mean, it was a license to make money, hand over fist. I mean, the Romans didn't care about your percentages. They had set amounts that they wanted, and if you brought in more money than that, they didn't care. You could be rich. You could get rich beyond your mildest imagination if you were a tax collector. And someone like Matthew, he may have had people working under him collecting money as well, which means that he was making money on top of money on top of money. And you know what money does to you? It corrupts you. It doesn't have to corrupt you, but so often money does corrupt people because money is always appealing to our hearts. Say, trust me, trust me. A little bit more, a little bit more of me, and you're going to be okay. Just, just trust me, trust me, trust me. And as we give in to that voice, our hearts become cold, our hearts become hard. And you know what? A guy like Levi, who's also called Matthew, a guy like that, you know he's not going to have a change of heart. Unless if God does something remarkable. There is not a word that a human being is going to be able to use to come to Levi and say, hey, man, you need to repent and change. and You know that God loves you. You just need to be a different person. and It's going to fall on deaf ears. But look at the story that we have. This is one of the most remarkable stories. We don't realize how powerful this story is. Because Jesus comes to Levi and he calls him. We read this. About this, about this uh, or after this, he went out and saw a tax collector the worst of the earth, named Levi, sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that Matthew, in his gospel, doesn't give us the whole story. There's no way he gives us the whole story. I don't believe he gives us the whole story. I think Jesus probably looked at this guy's, looked right into this guy's eyes, and there was communication going on there that we, we, we cannot even begin to understand. But Jesus looked, at his, looked in his eyes, and for some reason, Levi just knew. Levi just knew that this person, this Jesus, this healer, already knew who he was. He already knew the depths of his soul. He knew his sin, because in Levi, it was sin upon sin upon sin. There was pain, there was hurt. Does anyone hear hurt or pain and pain today? Jesus knows you. It's not going to be some, some words that I speak. It's going to take the power of God to change your heart and change your life. So, and so Jesus comes to Levi. And what's his response? Look at verse 28. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. But you know, there's always the religious people in the world. Levi was, the person, was a person who was out of the synagogue. He wasn't religious. And the Pharisees and scribes are going to have a hard time with this. Verse 29, And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes, the religious of the world, the real power people, if you will, in that, in that culture, the Pharisees and the scribes, what do they do? They grumbled at his disciples. Of course, that's what people do, right? When you have a real problem, you don't go to the person with the problem. If I have a problem with, with someone in this room, I don't want to go to that person. I want to go tell someone else about the problem I have. That's what I do, right? 
No, that's not what I'm supposed to do, but that's what we do naturally. We never want to go to the person who has the real problem. We always want to go somewhere else. There's somebody else. And ideally, if I can get three, four, five, six, maybe even ten, maybe even a dozen people to agree with me, then I've got a real team to destroy this other person who I don't like. And so this is what we see right here is that the scribes and the Pharisees, they're working at, working at, working at, working at, and trying to destroy this base that Jesus has. They go to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus knows all about this. And so Jesus answers them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but come but sinners, but I've come to, to bring sinners to repentance. You see, there's nothing that we have in this place that's going to bring healing and wholeness to your life. Except Jesus Christ. I'll tell you right now that our church has been going through some really tough times. I'm going to restate that. Our church is going through tough times. Now, you may not see it because maybe you just you come casually on Sunday and you hear the word preached and it's all good. And I applaud you on some level for being one of those persons coming and, and not really knowing what's going on, on the inside. On some level, I go, that's good. At least you're coming. But the fact is, is that whenever we get people together, there are problems. I'm still waiting for the day when the church comes together and there are no problems. Paul was waiting for that day. It didn't happen. Wherever he went, he had problems. Of course, wherever Jesus went, there were problems. Because people come with all their inherent sicknesses and illnesses and set problems. You know, if I was Jesus, I wouldn't call Matthew. Because if there was anybody who had problems, it would be that guy. Right? I'd want to go with the people who are at least partially healed. But no, he called Matthew. And just imagine that project that he must have taken on. This is a guy who loves money. And yet Jesus saw something in his soul where he knew that this man also knew that money could not solve his problems. You see, there's all kinds of things we go for to solve all issues. Wisdom, intelligence, being fast, being strong. Religiosity, money. What have you? It seems like these all things are going to help us, and at the same time, at the same time, the Bible is screaming at us, telling us that there's only one answer to your problems, and that answer is a person, the person of Jesus Christ, and the power of God, the power of God through the person of Jesus Christ. See, this is why this is why I was asked this morning about about uh, about what an altar rail is by the kids. I love these questions. You see, this altar rail, and we had so many people up here last week. But the altar rail is just a, simply a, a, a way, a means in which we call people forward to get real with God. To cry out to Him. Is there anyone here today who is absolutely perfect with God and doesn't have any problems? Well, we've taken the first step. Because we're not. We, we, we're not perfect. We have our problems. 
And the altar rail is just a means, just a way for us to come together and to cry out to God and ask God to help us. And it's not going to be through words of human wisdom. It's only going to be the power of God. And check this out. Look at the next story. I don't want to spend too, too much time on this. But look at the next story because this is really the essence of... See, I had, I had... It's so funny. Last week I had this sermon planned and it was like, eh, forget that. And then this week it's like, oh, there's still so much good stuff in the sermon I want to preach. But then there's another thing that has to happen. And so I've changed the sermon a little bit. And, and it's about the power of God. The power of God to heal this place and your heart. And he really can do this. Look at the next story. Verse 33, And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. Religiosity here. And so the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? He's saying there's a party going on because I'm here. You're not going to be fasting while there's a party going on. I know you've been fasting. Okay? I'm I aware of that. And you're probably thinking right now, it's been a long time. Paul, don't go on too long because we've got to eat. Okay? Let me tell you. Those really religious people, the Pharisees, <laughs> they were fasting. Right? Disciples of John were fasting. Yeah. yeah. We're going to continue. I'm going to go ahead and read through the Gospel of Luke here. Uh, no. Jesus continues to say, he says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So yes, fasting is very appropriate. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. I don't have time to talk about that in detail. And he says this, this is, this is where I want to go. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. No one puts the power of God and Jesus Christ into an old covenant, into an old way of understanding religious life, an old way of understanding our relationship with God. There's something new going on. There's something powerful going on. There's a whole new element. There's new wine. It's breaking things up. It's changing everything. And you don't put this new wine that comes through the person of Jesus Christ into old wineskins. And by the way, some of us may have a few old wineskins. It might be the reason why we have problems. We have certain ways that we want to think about the way church should be. But Jesus is alive. He's a person. He's always moving, always working, always doing something new. And I really believe that the reason why we have hard things going on right here in this church is because of the fact that there's a breakup that needs to happen somewhere. There's some crusty stuff going on in the lives of this congregation. And I'm not pointing towards sin. I don't have any idea. What's, I just know there's lots of problems. And Jesus says you've got to put new wine into, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. The wineskin has to be new. So that we're willing to receive the new wine, the power of God in Jesus Christ. You see, wisdom, being fast, being intelligent, all these things, being rich, being religious, whatever, you name it, any human element will not solve our problems. There's only one that can solve our problems, and it is Jesus Christ himself. It's the power of God in the person of Jesus. And so there are times in which I don't even know what to tell you anymore. Because it's not my mouth that brings healing. It's not my mouth that brings acceptable change. There's only the power of God in your life. Now we know that, that power of God was demonstrated on the cross, for it is on the cross that the power of God is ultimately demonstrated because it's 
Because if there was one person who was justified in destroying the world, it would have been Jesus. And yet he's powerful enough to withhold that kind of condemnation and to love you and to love me instead. So the message of the cross is one of humility because power is expressed in humility. May the power of God come to your life today and bring the kind of healing that it really needs. Only God knows what you need. No human being is capable of bringing that. Would you pray with me? Lord God, there's so many times when we try so hard to bring new things. We try to do things the right way. We try to make it work. We, we try to be smart. We try from a from the point of view of, a, of human wisdom to heal our bodies and to heal our church and to heal our community and to heal our world. And the reality is, Lord, is none of those things are going to work. There's no way that we can do that. The only way in which we can move forward with you is by you doing it. Your power, your love, your grace. And so my prayer is very simple, Lord. Would you pour out your spirit upon this place? If you've been in my mouth at all this morning, even more so, would you pour out your spirit in the hearts of everyone that is here so that they would know what it means to have peace and to agree to love one another, to become a whole person in a church filled with shalom. Come, Lord Jesus, fill this place. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.